you have a Bible, meet me in Psalm chapter 2. I want to ask you a question that is an innocent question on the surface, but I want to ask you to take it farther than that and really think about it. My question is this, what are you afraid of? If you're watching online, just because you're on your couch, you don't get out of the question. What are you afraid of? Think about it. Fear. Fear. I was just doing a little Google search about what people are afraid of, and there was an ABC put out a top ten list. And these are always funny to me because uh, they, they are things we're afraid of, but they're not really most of them aren't things that we have fear, like deep-seated fear. But, but listen to this. Listen to this top ten. The first one is a real one, right? Social phobia. And they lumped a bunch in there, but all the things, right? Public speaking, meeting new people, social media pressures that we've never had before, all the things. But then some of them are crazy. Some of them I didn't even know were a real thing. Like, how about this one? Agoraphobia. Fear of open spaces. That blows my mind. You don't have to confess your sins in the room here. Not that it's a sin, but it's like, that's crazy. Fear of open spaces. Just an open room. Crazy. How about this one? Some of you are going to feel this one. Acrophobia. You know what that is? Fear of heights. Anybody afraid of heights? Some of you are like, don't make fun of me. <laughs> I won't. Moving on. I don't even know how to say this next one. I should have put it on the screen. Termophrenobia. I don't know what that is, but here's what it is. Fear of flying. Anybody afraid to fly? I was after 9-11. Right? Or you look out the window. Anybody look out the window and like you see your wing shaking? Start to feel that. Right? Jamie's feeling it already. She's like, I can, I'm there. I'm there in my mind. <laughs> Claustrophobia, you know what that is. Here's another one. Entomophobia, fear of insects. Anybody? Anybody afraid of insects? Yes. I'm reading Jamie's mail today. I don't know what the next one is. Oph ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. I have that one. <laughs> I have that one. Watch these, these knuckleheads with snakes around their necks and whatnot. Nope. Not today. Cynophobia, fear of dogs. Tripanophobia, fear of needles. Anyone? Yeah. My wife has that. But as you read that list, we can kind of chuckle about it. But why? Why can we chuckle about that? Because there are things we're afraid of, but at the end of the day... Most of the time, those things that we talk about being afraid of are very surface, aren't they? If I was to come and follow you around and read your heart, I want to ask you to go a step farther than your fear of needles and ask yourself, what are the things that I'm afraid of? What are the things that I will alter the decisions that I'm making because I'm afraid of what's in front of me? Fear. When you come to Psalm chapter 2, we are confronted with that simple question because the psalm ends in this place. Blessed is everyone who takes 
refuge in the Lord. You, you only need refuge if you're running from something, if you're afraid of something, if you need shelter, if you need help. But when you seriously get past the generic answers of your fear and begin to think about what fear is doing on the inside of you, I think if we're honest, we'll begin to recognize fear for the deadly weapon, the deadly demon that it is. Because it's very interesting. I just did another quick Google search. And just in a quick search, there was 65 verses that popped up immediately that said that where the Bible says, do not fear. And that was just a quick cursory reading of it. You begin to start going down the list from Genesis to Revelation of what God's told you not to be afraid of because he is Jehovah Jireh, that he's provider, that he's enough, that he is your king. You can begin to recognize a lot of these things in you are not of him, but are actually of the devil. Think about it. So often we're afraid Of some of the very things that Psalm 2 is going to talk about. Look at it with me. Look at Psalm 2. It says this. And it begins with such a great question. And it's as applicable right now in our world as it was when it was written thousands of years ago. Look at what it says. It says, why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. If there was ever an applicable Old Testament question for us today, wouldn't it be that? When you look around the world over the last 18 months, we've been talking about this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we've been saying the answers are not outside of ourselves. They're, they're found in Jesus. Because if you look, that's the question. Why, why do the nations rage and why do the people plot? In vain. We're picking up where we left off two weeks ago, and then as Jerome preached last week, and as you're thinking about your relationship with God, this idea that we started with a blessing and success and spending time with the Lord, and as you think about what does it look like, because oftentimes we're chasing success when the scripture calls success blessing. You can catch that on the YouTube channel because it's super important because as you move from chapter one where it talks about what it means to be blessed and then you come into chapter two, chapter two was a coronation psalm. It was read at when a king would be anointed and put into power and they would read this because it was Very important for that man stepping into power to recognize how little power he had. Are you tracking with me? So for you and I, in the 21st century United States of America, it's really important as we read this psalm to recognize how little power we have. Why do the nations rage? It's a great confronting question. You could turn that in on yourself and your little kingdom that you're building, that I'm building. And we could ask the same question. Why do I rage within myself 
and plot in vain. Because here, if we're, if we're going to be really honest, like all of us probably, maybe there's a few of you who have figured this out, but we're building our kingdoms, aren't we? We're building our kingdoms. And if, if I'm honest with you as your pastor, like that, that is consuming in this culture. And God's put me here to every week come and remind you of this truth that we're going to read in Psalm 2. So look at it with me. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And then look at this. He who sits in heaven, what? Talk to me. What's it say? Laughs. Some of this, this is going to make a few of you uncomfortable because this is a part of God that we don't like to talk about. It's a part of God's character that we don't often talk about because it's easier to just talk about his love. And we're going to get there by the end of the chapter. But God is equally on the what? The throne. He's king. He's God. He's sovereign. He's in control. And I love this as the kings of the earth make their plans and they plot and they do the things. The scripture is very clear that God is not thwarted by that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. And here's a place I wouldn't want to be. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, this is God speaking, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. And picture this. As a king is being anointed in Jerusalem up on a hill overlooking the Middle East, the, the picture that's happening here that God is saying, I am setting you as my king, as my representative on my holy hill. Think about the weight of what is being said to this king as he's being anointed. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In a very public setting, that new king was being adopted formally into the family of God as his son, as his king, as his representative. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Here we go. We started out by asking the question, 
what are you afraid of? There's a lot of things you don't need to be afraid of because God is enough. I'm going to read you a list of those verses here in a second. But fear is not all bad. How I many you know that fear can actually serve a good purpose? There are things you ought to be afraid of. There's a reason you're afraid of heights, right? Because what happens if you fall off the height? Bad, bad things, right? There's a reason people are afraid of flying because some planes, what? Crash. It's a reason people are afraid of needles because they hurt, right? Like, like it's not all crazy. You're like, thank you. I thought you were going to call me crazy today. It's not all crazy, right? And so even when we push past those generic ones, when you think about your relationship with God, there's a healthy fear that comes out of this passage. And that's what was being told to these kings is that you're going to be entrusted with a lot of earthly power. And listen, let's be real. In our day and age, we've come a long way. There's this illusion that we control a lot of the things in our life. And it would do all of us well this summer as we kind of take inventory, as we go on vacation, as we do the traveling, as we do all the things that we would take some inventory of our life and say, what am I, what am I pretending to be in control of? Where have I lost this healthy fear? Because look at what it says in verse 11. It says, serve the Lord with what? Fear. And rejoice with what? When's the last time you were trembling and that made you really happy? Um, never. There, there are things that this passage is confronting us with because there was a king stepping into power and he was probably experiencing all kinds of crazy emotions. And the, and, and the Lord just wanted to be sure that this new guy understood his place in power. And then look at verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. I love this. Blessed are all. How many people? All of them. Anyone. The invitation is to every single human being to be blessed. Right. And so it tags back onto chapter one and it says, listen, if you're going to be blessed and you're going to do those things and you're going to orient your life in that way, even if you are the king. Keep in mind, blessed that success that every king is longing for, that every king wants to be that guy. Right. Saul was jealous of David when they would sing about uh, him and say, Saul has killed his Thousands. He must have felt pretty good until they started to sing about David. And what they say? But David has killed his ten thousands. And what did that do to Saul? Fear. He was losing control of what he thought he had. And so here we are. And this is the statement. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I think there's a principle that leaps out of that. That's really important for you and I today. And I won't labor here long because I want to get to Jesus here in a minute. But I want you to think about if, if that is true, 
and we tag it on to what Jerome talked about last week and what I talked about the week before, and, and we begin to think about what it means to be blessed, what it means to be successful in this life here and now, there's a very important principle for you and I to recognize. I want you to write it down and think about it this way. Is that, okay, so, so here we have king, right? So who's the real king? Jesus, right? You can't get it wrong today. <laughs> Jesus, right? So we talk about it all the time, vision up, vision in, vision out, right? Until you fall in love with God, until you experience that good news, you will never be able to look with Jesus at the people around you. So we talk about that all the time. So, so vision up, vision in, right? This is in, okay? This is the thing that needs to take place inside of every one of our heart, that Jesus needs to be free to move into your heart and rearrange the furniture, okay? Here it is, looking to King Jesus. And I want you to write King Jesus, because it's not just, you'll, you'll fluffy eyes Jesus if you don't write King Jesus, right? Because he's Lord, he is Savior and Redeemer, and He's good, and we're going to get to that. But it's so much more powerful if you recognize that He's King, that He's Lord. So here it is, looking to King Jesus, we become stewards of what is God's, not managers of what is ours. What is He saying to this King? This King is going to step into a role, and He's going to represent God to God's people. And the reminder here is that he who sits in heaven laughs at our plans. And he's terrifying. And he's potentially angry. But here's here's why that's not bad news, right? Because because oftentimes you and I are like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like that part of God. Well, listen, his anger is perfect. Our anger is not. Right? We, we have distorted pictures of what being angry is. Right? Because it's actually good that God's angry. Because what happens when we look and we see injustice in the world? We go, somebody needs to make that right. Somebody needs to be angry about that who has the power to do something about it. Don't we? And what is the confession of the gospel and of Christianity is that God will come and he will make all things new. And so we actually do want the justice and anger and wrath of God. Right? And so, so don't, be, don't be lulled into what the world would want you to think about God, that he's a big mean guy up in the sky throwing lightning bolts. Because that's not at all what's true because... He's reminding us that he is in control, that he can be terrifying, but there's this incredible offer at the end of that reality. Blessed is everyone who would take refuge in him. So yes, he's in control. Yes, he can be angry. Yes, he will punish the things that are against his will and character, and he has every right to do that as the creator and sustainer of the universe. But it does not stop there. The gospel always comes through. Because that is equally a part of his incredible character. And so I don't know where you are today. As you sit in that, maybe you need to know that God sits in heaven and laughs. At the fact that so many of us think we are kings of our own kingdom. You might need to know that. 
But I also want you to know, as C.S. Lewis points out in his reflections on the Psalms, that in Psalm 2 we meet two figures. In all of the Psalms we really meet two figures. We meet Jesus who suffers with us and Jesus who is a liberating king. You recognize that the fact that God's in control and you're not is actually going to set you free. If you and I were again to be honest and go back to that thing like what what kind of fear is driving my life? Is it fear of man? Is it what people are going to think of me? Is it fear of the future? Is it fear of and, and you can fill that in. You know what that is. If you were to really get inside and really be honest, like what what's happening at a soul level in you? And some of us are gonna be, you know, we're gonna put up the brick wall and we're gonna we're gonna act like there's nothing in there, but listen, I'm there there's no macho men at the foot of the cross. Can I say that? Uh, we've we've all played the game. I just want to give you permission to not play that game. Because at the foot of the cross, the playing field is level. I told you I was going to read you a list of scriptures about fear. Because there's a healthy fear of the Lord. But let's be real. You and I struggle with the unhealthy fears every day. Every day. Sometimes we call it anxiety, but it's fear. It's fear, and it's real. But I want you to listen to the, what the Lord has to say in both the Old Testament and New Testament about fear and about your relationship with him. These are going to be on the screen for you, so follow along. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. My righteous right hand. I love that. Two chapters later, Isaiah 43.1 says this, but now this is what the, what? The Lord says. I love that. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. Think about this. I have summoned you by name. And what? You are mine. I love that. I think about my four-year-old daughter when it's like, you know, and her, her, her brothers are older than her. And they'll come and they'll like rip something out of their hand. And she does two things. First she goes, hey, that's mine. mine. Hey. <laughs> it's like so cute. She's adorable. But what's the second thing she does? Dad. Right? Because she knows what? Yeah, Malachi's back there laughing. It's you I'm looking at. <laughs> Why does she call dad? Because dad has a righteous right hand. Right? Like with, with one swoop, dad can make it right. Think about that in your life. But now this is what the Lord says, right? This is what King Jesus says. And it's different than if I'm just up here giving you tips and tricks, right? I'm not offering you what I can offer you. I'm offering you that this is what the Lord says. Fear not. Why? Because I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name and you are mine. 
It's reminiscent of Romans chapter 8, right? What can separate me from the love of God? And he gives this laundry list of stuff, nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, what do I do when I'm afraid? There's an active response to that here. I will put my trust in you. I put my trust in you. Philippians chapter 4, let's go to the New Testament. Do not be anxious about how much. That's so hard. I don't like that verse. What? Don't be anxious about anything. Is that even possible? It's not on your own strength, is it? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, right? Why does it say that? Because that's a... (laughs) He knows we're going to be anxious about something. So in every situation, by prayer and what? Petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. You ever wonder why you can't explain certain things to people who don't believe in Jesus? Because it transcends understanding. We'll do what? We'll guard. Fear is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. I referred to it as a deadly demon. Why? Because fear comes from a different place. That kind of fear is not from God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself, John 14, peace is what I leave with you. My own peace I give to you. He didn't leave you with fear. The devil's leaving you with fear. The devil's offering you fear. What Jesus left you with is peace. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world does. Aren't you glad for that? I don't give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Paul would look at Timothy as he was starting out in ministry and say these words. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Psalm 34, 4, I prayed to the Lord, and he what? He answered me, and he freed me from all my fears. And there's something I love here in Psalm 2, that these Davidic kings, these, these kings that would be in David's line, that would march us toward the coming of Jesus, were stewarding, right? I said to you that we're not... We're not managers of what is ours. We're stewards of what is God's. What, what's happening here is that, that these Davidic kings were stewarding the sonship and kingship of Jesus that would ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus would step out of the splendors of heaven and step into this earth and be for you and I what we could never be for ourselves. And they were stewarding that so that all of us, when Jesus would come, that we could all, because of Jesus, now be adopted into his multi-ethnic family called the church. And then as the church, what do we, what do, we do with that? As the church, we're his representatives to the world. We're called out to worship God and bless the nations. Look at how Paul told his friends in Corinth, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 says this, Therefore, knowing what? The fear of the Lord. Isn't it interesting? 
What is what is driving us to be his representatives? The fear of the Lord, because there's this other side of fear that's healthy. Knowing that he is God, knowing that he will make all things right. We offer this blessed are all who take refuge in him to the world because otherwise we get what we deserve. So knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Drop down to verse 16. It says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to their flesh. Why is that important? Because the nations are raging. We're, we're grabbing anything and everything and we're trying to solve it on our own when God has already given us everything we need in Christ for life and godliness. Right? He's, he's laid out what racial, racial reconciliation looks like. He's laid out how we ought to treat those who make different lifestyle choices than us. And it's not just to fix people. Tracking with me? We're to offer them Jesus. Because look at, from now on, we, we regard no one according to their flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if, how many people, I love this, anyone, again, just this blanket offer to the world. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them. And entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, listen, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we, we are now entrusted with what these kings were entrusted with. They were stewarding the sonship and kingship of God. And then Jesus came. And now we are his ambassadors. Making God's appeal to the world this way. Blessed is everyone who would take refuge in him. So I come full circle back here. Just right before we're going to take communion together. And I ask you the same question that I started. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What's the fear inside of you. That maybe nobody else knows about. What's the fear inside of you. That maybe you never even thought about. Fear of man, people pleasing, just constantly being aware of that. Fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of God. I don't know where you're at, but I do know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. If you're not a Christian today, 
Can I just tell you that God is totally in control whether you think he is or not? And you just need to know that. But that even in his wrath, he's good. Because though he laughs at our plans, though he laughs at those kings' perceived control and reminds them of who he is and the terrifying nature of his work, the end of that road is his goodness. Blessed is everyone who would take refuge in him. And so if you're not a Christian today, watching online or sitting here, maybe you've been playing a game. Can I just encourage you to surrender to the lordship of Jesus? That King Jesus will be a much better king of your life than you are. That's hard to believe, I know. And some of you are actually good at being king here on this earth. But at the end of the day, Jesus is a good king.